Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. It's a beautiful day outside, is it not? It's a little little cool, which is better than a lot hot. We're thankful that you're here with us this morning to worship and to get into the Word of God together as we continue looking at this passage of Scripture that we've been in for the past several weeks. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1, again, verses 2 through 15. If we know Jesus Christ this morning, or if we have any eternal concern whatsoever, spiritual growth and maturity should be a priority of ours. And there are literally hundreds of strategies out there for spiritual growth, hundreds of strategies and studies and books on discipleship and disciple-making, some obviously better than others, some overwhelming, most of them underwhelming, most developed with good intentions. But here in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter gives us a Holy Spirit-inspired pathway to spiritual maturity. And I want us to miss this. I mean, he doesn't have a fancy cover. He doesn't have endorsements from famous preachers. But he has the endorsement of the Holy Spirit who through his pen inspired the words that he wanted us to hear from 2 Peter chapter 1, the Holy Spirit who knows what spiritual maturity looks like better than the greatest church growth guru known to man, the Holy Spirit who knew what we needed to mature us in the faith, who knew what would truly be effective, the Holy Spirit gives us these words in 2 Peter chapter 1. So let's just get past all of the all of the advertisements, let's get past all of the bestsellers, let's get past all of the newest best methods, and let's get to what Jesus, through the Holy Spirit of God, through the pen of Peter, tells us spiritual maturity looks like. And Peter took this so seriously, this was literally his life's mission for the rest of his life to stir up his disciples, his churches, his followers... Those under his care, he spent the rest of his life to stir them up to see and apply and do these things. And if he he felt that understanding this pathway to maturity was that important, shouldn't we this morning also very carefully consider what he's given us here in this little letter? I want us to look at it again together this morning. Listen to what the Bible says. This is God's Word, 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust Again, God has provided you with everything you need for life and godliness along with precious and magnificent promises so that you can become partakers of the divine nature. Verse number 5, For this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, 
love. Because of the great gracious, graces that God has poured out upon us, you must apply all diligence in your faith walk to add to your faith moral excellence and to moral excellence knowledge and on and on. We have looked at each one of these qualities over the last several weeks, one by one. We've spent time looking at faith. We've spent time looking at moral excellence. We've spent time looking at knowledge, self-control. Last week, we looked at perseverance or steadfastness. This morning, we come to the quality of godliness. These are the things that Peter lists out in in strategic, intentional order that we are to pursue if we are to have spiritual maturity. And that's why we're looking at them individually over all of these weeks. If you've missed any, you can go back to the website, to Sermon Audio, and you can listen and catch up on what you may have missed. Picking up in verse 8, for if these qualities that we're walking through week by week, if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble." For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Peter is saying, if these qualities become yours, if these qualities are increasing, you as a Christian will not be useless. You will not be unfruitful. You won't be blind, nearsighted, or at risk of ever falling away, but you will have the kingdom abundantly supplied to you. That's how much emphasis he puts on these qualities. That's how much importance he sees in these qualities. So his goal was to pound these truths into the church with the remainder of his days. Listen to what he says in verses 12 through 15. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present within you. I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these these things, these things to mind. That's why we're focusing on these qualities. That's why we're walking through these qualities together because we need to be on the pathway to spiritual maturity. And not only do we need to be on the pathway to spiritual maturity, but we need to be able to lead others on that path of spiritual maturity. We have come this morning to the quality of godliness. He says, in your perseverance, godliness. And he implies there, in your perseverance and out of your perseverance, you will be supplied with godliness. And he implies there that in your perseverance, you need to be sure you're diligently adding to that perseverance godliness. What is godliness this morning? What, do we, what does godliness mean? I find it interesting that we would ask that question. Because I don't think that we ask the question uh, like, what is ungodliness, do we? Define for me ungodliness. We just know that ungodliness is the fruit of the ungodly, right? Ungodliness is what ungodly people produce out of their lives. So we just flip that around and we could say that godliness produces, it comes from godly people. Godliness is the fruit of the godly. 
Jesus said in Matthew 7, you will know them by their what? Fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. So what is godliness? It's a fruit. It's the fruit of the godly person. Or we could say it is the fruit of the one who has been made godly. Remember what we just read in verses 3 and 4? His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and, and what? Godliness. He has given us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. So godliness is not just the fruit of the godly. Godliness is the fruit of the one who has been made godly by the working of our God. By His grace. The Puritan John Brown wrote this. He says, Godliness is a general name for religious duties, for our duties in reference to God, in contradistinction to our duties in reference to ourselves and our fellow men. It is descriptive of the right state of the individual with regard to God, the right state of his mind, of his heart, and of his life, of his thoughts, his affections, and his conduct. The right way of thinking, feeling, and acting towards God. That's what godliness is. Godliness manifests itself in at least three areas. First of all, in the understanding. Godliness is a right state of our mind. It, godliness It's proper thought in relation to God. It's the right way of thinking towards God. And this transformation really begins in our minds. I know we've heard the preachers say it because it'll preach, you know, and get some amens. But we say some people are going to miss heaven by about 18 inches. The distance between their head and their heart. You've heard that before? Well, I mean, let's really be honest here. What is really the center of of our understanding, it's not our hearts. Our hearts pump blood through our bodies, right? They're a muscle that really doesn't think on their own, on its own. It just pumps blood through our bodies. The, the mind is where the transformation really begins. That's why Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your Mind. The battle is fought in your mind. And, and godliness begins in your mind. The truth about God, known and believed in the mind, is the fundamental part of godliness. And listen, this is not natural. It's not something we just know by instinct. And in 1 Timothy 3.16, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. So he tells us right there that godliness is not something that we just naturally know. Godliness is not something we just come to by instinct and by second nature. Godliness is a mystery. And it's a mystery not because it cannot be discovered. It's not a mystery because it cannot be known. It's a mystery because it cannot be discovered and known without God revealing it to us. Now stay with me. Godliness is a mystery because godliness cannot be known and understood 
without God revealing it to us. Now, how would God choose to reveal godliness to us? Well, Paul says, thanks for asking. He doesn't stop. He says, great is the mystery of godliness. He. He. Godliness is revealed to us. The mystery is revealed to us not in a what, but in a who. He. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Great is the mystery of godliness, but godliness is revealed to us as we see in this passage of Scripture, not in a what, but in a who. Godliness is revealed to us in the very person of Jesus Christ. Listen, how do, we understand, how do these people down here understand godliness? God's looking down. He has, he has the Son beside Him. He has the Holy Spirit there with Him. One, three in one. And they look down in perfect fellowship and say, how on earth are these people ever going to understand godliness? Should we give them a book? Should we give them a description? Should we paint a picture? And Jesus said, no, I do not count equality with you here, a thing to be grasped or to held on to, but I will humble myself and I will take on the form of a human being and I will step into their world. I will step into their life and I will humble myself and I will be obedient and I will show them what godliness looks like through what I say. I'll show them what godliness looks like through what I do. I will show them what God looks like by how I live my life and I will humble myself to obedience to death even death on a cross and I will show them what godliness looks like as I shed my blood for their sin I will show them what godliness looks like as I cry out father forgive them for they know not what they do. I will show them what godliness looks like as I humble myself to obedience even to death on a cross. And I will be seen by angels. I will be vindicated by the Spirit. I will be resurrected on Sunday morning and I will be proclaimed to the ends of the earth and I will be believed upon in the world. Do you want to know what godliness looks like? Set your mind on Christ. The mystery of godliness is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Even back in verse number 3 of 2 Peter chapter 1, His divine power has get granted to us everything pertaining to life and what? Godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. We need a true knowledge of Christ if we're to produce godliness. Godliness begins in the understanding. Does that make sense? Secondly, in the feeling. It's not just a right state of mind, but it's a right state of heart. It's not just our thoughts and right way of thinking towards God, but it's our affections and feelings toward God. It's not just a heady thing, but it's a love of knowledge. Not just a love of knowledge, but a love of knowledge of Him. It's an emotional embracing of Him. Jesus said the greatest commandment, the first and foremost commandment, is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all 
your strength. Love, love, love vertically our Creator God who is revealed to us in the person of Christ. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is giving some letters to the Apostle John to deliver to his church. And in Revelation chapter 2, he says in verses 2 through 5, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they're not and you have found them to be false and you, you have perseverance and you have endured for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now here's a church who can identify false teachers. That's a lot better than most of our churches in the West today. Here's a church who doesn't tolerate false teaching. Here's a church who is persevering in the face of suffering and trial and test and tribulation. They're enduring for His name's sake and they haven't even grown weary. These are, this is a church that should get accolades. This is a church that should get praise. This is a church that should be emulated. But for verse number 4, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. Verse number 5 in Revelation 2 goes on and says, Therefore remember from where, where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I personally, I, Jesus Christ, am coming to you personally, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Listen, this is the only one of those churches in the book of Revelation that Jesus threatens to remove. This is the only church of those in Revelation that Jesus threatens to close down. This is the only church in Revelation He threatens to remove the lampstand of and take away their light in the community. And, and there's some others that seem a lot worse to me on the surface. Tolerating that woman Jezebel is one of them. And yet this is the church that Jesus says, I will snuff you out. And why will he snuff them out? Because their hearts had grown cold towards him and they had left their first love godliness. Yes, it begins and it is rooted in the mind and a right understanding and thoughts concerning Jesus Christ. But it is also rooted in the feelings. It is emotional and we should love him. That's why Jesus said that those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not just truth and singing the right biblical words it's in spirit it's emotional it's a feeling and we we combine the feeling for jesus with the truth of jesus and it becomes worship of jesus godliness it's understanding it's feeling and thirdly it's doing godliness is not just a right state of mind and heart but a right state of life it's not just our thoughts and affections, but our conduct. Not just our thinking and feeling, but our acting. Conformity to God is the idea which most likely comes to our mind first when we think of godliness, maybe God-likeness. The godly man becomes partaker of the divine nature. In verse number 4 of 2 Peter 1, for by these He's granted us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers 
of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. That's just a picture of godliness, escaping the corruption that is in the world and taking on the divine nature, being God-like in our doing and in our acting. The godly person is changed into God's image, the divine nature. And what is God's image? Who is God's image? Jesus is, right? Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. So what we mean by godliness ultimately is Christ-likeness, looking like Jesus. One commentator said, The Son of God became man that men might through him be made sons of God. And godliness in the present world is Christ made manifest in the lives of his servants. Listen to that again. The Son of God became man that men might through him be made sons of God. And godliness in the present world is Christ made manifest in the lives of his servants. We, through a true knowledge of Christ and because of a deep love of Christ, begin to do what Christ did and what Christ would do. It is a doing. It is a God-likeness, a Christ-likeness, an acting out of what we know about Christ and what we feel about Christ. Now we do. Now I don't want us to forget the dual nature of Peter's strategy for growth here. He says these qualities are supplied by God through faith. Out of your faith, supply moral excellence. Out of that moral excellence, flows knowledge. Out of that knowledge flows self-control. Out of that self-control flows perseverance and then godliness. These things have been granted to us in verse number 3. His power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. If you have godliness, it's because He granted it to you. If you have perseverance, it's because He granted it to you. If you have self-control, it's because He gave it to you. If you have knowledge or moral excellence or faith, it came from Him. But at the same time, we need to be diligent to pursue these qualities. We don't just sit back. We pursue them. We're we're diligent to pursue these qualities and seek to add them one by one and one upon another. And godliness is no different. 1 Timothy 6.11 But flee... From these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. We need to pursue this. So how can we practically pursue godliness? give you three steps as we wrap up this portion of the series. Three practical steps on how you can pursue and seek to diligently add to your faith godliness. Number one, meditate. On the person of Christ. Meditate on the person of Christ. Remember, godliness begins in the understanding. It begins in the mind. So meditate with your mind on Jesus. When we read the Bible, we have so much in our minds that clutter it. But the focus of our reading should be Jesus. The very definition of godliness. John Owen said this. If I have observed anything by experience, it is this. A man may take the measure of his growth and decay in grace according to his thoughts and meditations upon the person of Christ and the glory of Christ's kingdom and of his love. So what John Owen is saying is, 
I can measure a person's growth or decay in grace according to the amount of time he gives to thinking and meditating upon Christ, his kingdom, and his love. So we need to meditate on the person of Christ. Isaac Ambrose, who is known known for his great love of Christ, helps us see how easy it can be to meditate on Jesus if we just do so. He says, Cast thine eyes which way thou wilt, and thou shalt hardly look upon anything but Christ. Jesus hath taken the name of that thing upon himself. Is it day? And dost thou behold the sun? He is called the Son of Righteousness. Or is it night? And dost thou behold the stars? He's called a star. There shall come a star out of Jacob. Or is it morning? He's called the bright morning star. Or is it noon? And dost thou behold clear light all the world over? He is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Come nearer. If thou lookest upon the earth and takest a view of the creatures about thee, dost thou see the sheep? As a sheep before a shearer is dumb. Or do you see a lamb? Behold, the Lamb of God. Seest thou a shepherd watching over his flock? I am the good shepherd. Or seest a fountain? Waters? Rivers? Do you want to grow in godliness? Meditate on the person of Christ. Think on Him. Dwell on Him. See Him in everything. Not only should we meditate on the person of Christ, but we should stimulate a love for Christ. I had a big section written right here. And then it hit me. This is really ridiculous. It sounds funny to say, you need to stimulate a love for Christ. That's like telling your children last night, as they dumped a big bag of candy out on the living room floor, all right, kids, now we really need to stimulate a love for sugar. How are we going to stimulate this love for sugar? You don't have to stimulate a love for sugar. It's there, is it not? Why? Because sugar is good. It tastes great, does it not? You have to stimulate a love of Splenda and Diet Coke, but you don't have to stimulate a love for sugar because sugar tastes so good to the palate, does it not? Listen, there's nothing more pleasurable or wonderful or glorious or majestic or worthy than Jesus. And just to, for me to say this morning, hey, here's how you can stimulate a love for Him seems as ridiculous, more ridiculous than saying we really need to try to stimulate a love for sugar. This should be so easy. As the As the Methodist hymnal says in a hymn by Johann Frank, Jesus, priceless treasure, source of purest pleasure, truest friend to me. Long my heart hath panted, till it well nigh fainted, thirsting after thee. Thine I am, O spotless Lamb, I will suffer not to hide thee, ask for naught beside thee. If we're really so cold as to need to stimulate a love for Christ, the best method is twofold. 
If that's you this morning and your heart for Christ is cold, these are the only two things I can tell you. That you need to think often upon the gospel. Think often upon the gospel. Think often about how holy God is, how perfect and sinless and spotless and righteous God is, and how high His standards are for us. Think often about how sinful you are and how Christ has laid down His life for you in spite of you in order to reconcile you to the Father. Think upon your great sinfulness and upon His great forgiveness and grace. Because Luke 7, 47 says, He who is forgiven little loves little. Think often upon the gospel. Secondly, spend time with Him in prayer and in the Word. Spend time with Him in prayer and in the Word. I know that seems so simple, so elementary, almost like it shouldn't even be said. But many, if not most people who come to me or people here who need a love for Christ stimulated aren't in the Word and in prayer. That's like, I really want to stimulate a love for Christ. Are you in the Word? Not really. Are you praying? Not really. What do you expect? What do you expect? Do you want to grow in godliness? Meditate upon the person of Christ and stimulate a love for Christ by thinking upon the gospel and your sinfulness and how gracious He's been to you and get in the Word and in prayer. And then finally, imitate the man Christ. Meditate upon the person of Christ, stimulate a love for Christ, and imitate the man Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 25, it is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher. Be like Jesus. Charles Sheldon in his book, In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? wrote these words. Our motto will be, what would Jesus do? Our aim will be to act just as He would if He was in our places, regardless of immediate results. In other words, we propose to follow Jesus' steps as closely and as literally as we believe He taught His disciples to do. And those who volunteer to do this will pledge themselves for an entire year, beginning with today, so to act. If we want to be godly, we must imitate the man Christ Jesus and seek to do what Jesus would do as we come to know what Jesus did. Seek to think what Jesus would think. Have the mind of Christ. Seek to say what Jesus would say. Allow Him to be the Lord of our lips. Seek to do what Jesus would do. We are His hands and His feet, His body. Seek to refrain from what Jesus would refrain from. Imitate Him. That is the pathway to godliness. And that has to begin all the way back at the very first quality Peter lists, which is faith. It has to begin with faith. You'll never be godly without saving faith. Have you ever truly understood the gospel? That Jesus Christ came to this earth to live a sinless, spotless, perfect, holy life in your stead. And He went to the cross to die the death that your sin demands in your place. And that He was buried in a barred tomb. And that He rose from the grave on Sunday morning so that you here this morning could turn away from your sin and turn to God through faith in Him and cling to Him and be granted peace with God. And you can be reconciled to the Father and you can be promised eternity with Him forever. If you want godliness, we have to go all the way back to the beginning and make sure that you have faith. So we want to invite you this morning, if you do not have faith, 
In just a moment, our ministers are going to be in the area, in the center of this park, around the fountain. We want to invite you to go take one of them by the hand. Tell them that you need prayer. Tell them you need faith. And they'll be glad to talk with you and to pray with you about where you stand with Jesus. Thank you for being here. Thank you for hearing the word. I pray that God has spoken to you and has stirred you to meditate upon Christ to stimulate a love for Christ and to imitate the man Christ as we seek to be like Christ and godly. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your word. And I pray if there's a person here who has grown cold, that they would make it a purpose to meditate upon you and to see you and to think upon you and to dwell upon you and to meditate upon you. That they would stimulate a love for you by thinking often of the gospel by being in the word and in prayer and that they would seek to imitate you with their lips and their lives their hands and their feet and their minds they would seek to be like Christ help us to reflect the divine nature and escape the corruptions that are found in this world And if there's a person here who doesn't know you, give them the courage and the faith to respond, to seek out someone they trust, to point them to you. Grant them repentance, grant them faith this morning. And we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. You're dismissed, and as you're dismissed, there should be some offering buckets around if you need to leave an offering. Again, thank you for being with us this morning. Hope God's spoken to you as you have worshipped Him.